looking in Galatians chapter 5 tonight, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, a message I call Living in Liberty, Galatians 5 and 1, very famous passage where Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. This passage is the beginning of the practical application side of the book of Galatians. All of the, all of the epistles had a doctrinal side, and then it would have a practical application side. All of them do. And uh, Galatians chapter 5 is the beginning of that practical side of the book of Galatians. Paul had written to those churches at Galatia in order to warn them about the efforts to bring them back uh, under the Old Testament law. Even though they were experiencing the new covenant and all of its blessings and benefits that had been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, yet there were people who were trying to take away their new covenant, New Testament liberty and replace it then by bringing them back under that covenant of bondage, which would have been bad enough. Uh, but the fact is, is that the concept of bondage that they were bringing them under, their concept of the law of Moses was a terribly perverted concept. Uh, you see, the law was not a bad thing. In fact, the law was good, it was perfect. Paul would tell us that there would have been, if it would have been possible for uh, righteousness to have been by the law, then the law would have accomplished that. The law was good. The law was perfect. It did then and it does today exactly what God designed it to do. And that is to point out the fact of our sin. The law has often been described as a mirror. A mirror will show you that your face is dirty. But a mirror has no capacity for cleaning your face. It takes something else to do that. And of course, that something was their faith in Jesus Christ. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. All of those Old Testament sacrifices, all of them pointed to the blood of Jesus Christ, which would, in fact, take away the sins of the world. The law then was... Uh, not intended to be a means of a person uh, obtaining righteousness. You keep the law, you do this, and then you'll be right. You'll be accepted. You'll make your way into heaven. Oh, that was a perversion of the law. But it's what had carried the day. How serious was it? Well, the people who had embraced that way of thinking are the ones who cried out, crucify him. The ones who rejected Jesus Christ, who refused him and all that he had to offer. So as Paul then warns them about this effort to bring them back under their concept of the law, and we'll talk more about that later, uh, he gives in this great passage, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. We may think tonight that those efforts have stopped. That the danger of legalism or the presentation of the law or the keeping of a set of rules 
as a means of righteousness is no longer a threat to us. But the simple fact is, is that multitudes of people in our country today still look at the Christian faith as a list of rules, mainly a list of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. It is confusing to them. It is restrictive. It is to their way of thinking impossible to keep, and they would be right. (laughs) And absolutely no fun. (laughs) Now that's the way multitudes of people still today uh, think of the Christian faith. And then there's the other side of things. Uh, Don't think that religion has a monopoly on the concept of legalism, of coming up with a set of rules and then demanding that those rules be met. Because we live in a culture today that is inventing its own form of legalism, its own form of orthodoxy, the right way of thinking, the right way of believing. And... You all feel the pressure all the time to conform. And we're seeing that the refusal to conform to this secular orthodoxy, a form of legalism all its own, is creating a a very difficult situation in our culture. So while there's still a tendency for people to embrace a religious form of legalism. We're also being bombarded by a secular form of legalism. And the fact is that they're both addressed in the book of Galatians and against them all. Paul says, you stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Jesus Christ did that for us, and he did it at an incredibly high price. And so tonight, we want to talk a little bit about what it means to live out this liberty, to live in the liberty that Jesus Christ has bought for us. And uh, the first thing we need to understand, of course, is how it is presented to us in the book of Galatians. And Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, into another gospel, which is not another There's some be there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now the word perversion and pervert are falling on hard times in our culture today. Uh, More and more of what was once considered deviant and even criminal is called normal and certainly acceptable. Uh, But these are perfectly good words, and they describe what happens when something good and something wholesome is changed. And it is changed in order to make it vile and deplorable and disgusting. It has been perverted. And the Apostle Paul warns about those who would pervert the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Another gospel then, he says, which is not another. And he reminds us that any alternative to the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel at all. Never has been, and it still isn't today. Now, we might think of a word like reform, for example, which means to change something in a positive direction, uh, while the word pervert that Paul uses means to change it in a negative direction. There were some 
who were deserting the gospel because there were some who were perverting the gospel. And as they accepted that substitute, they were in fact abandoning the real thing. Now the reason why this is so dangerous is easily seen. A person who accepts a perverted gospel will believe he is saved and going to heaven. Perverting the gospel, though, produces a dead gospel. And when people are inoculated with a dead, powerless gospel, it generally serves to make them immune to the real thing. Just like being inoculated by a vaccination, as we call it today, where they inoculate you with dead virus. And that then makes you immune to the live virus. At least that's the theory. You and I know a lot of people who have bought into a dead, perverted gospel. And they are very, very, very difficult to reach with the real thing. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, then Paul says, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. You see, it isn't the messenger that validates the message. It's the other way around. It's the message that validates the messenger. Paul said, if I were to somehow change my mind and I came back to you preaching another gospel, he said, don't you believe it? Even if a shining son of light, one of the angels from heaven, were to somehow appear preaching to you some other gospel, telling you that somehow the gospel has been changed, that God has changed his mind, that it's not the same anymore. Said, don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? Uh, there is a threefold test then that Paul gives us to establish the purity of the gospel. There is the source test. Does it come from the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit? Verse 11, he says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I didn't make it up. Nobody else made it up. He got it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only source of the true gospel. He gave it long ago, hadn't changed a bit. I don't know what version of Windows I'm on right now. Uh, Probably not the current version. Uh, I usually say about one or two behind. Uh, Not too long ago, my my phone stopped charging. And uh, I looked at the prices of getting a new phone, and I decided that uh, I could just uh, do an insurance claim on my old one. And I, so I've got, I've got, hey, I paid that stuff, might as well use it. And uh, so I've got a brand new Galaxy 5, and I'm proud of it. Uh, some of you say, man, there's a Galaxy 97 out there. I don't care. I don't care, my new brand new phone cost me $100. Look at the price tag on the others. Uh, I don't know what version of Windows you have. I don't know what version of iPhone you have. I don't know what version of, of Galaxy you have. I don't, I, I don't even know what uh, your model of car or truck you might be driving. But I know one thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ never needs an update. Never needs an upgrade. Never will be a gospel 2018, not going to happen. Gospel 2018 is the same gospel that Jesus Christ was preaching when he was here. If it's not, it's no good. And so it is not after man. It comes from Jesus Christ. Then there's what we call the subject test. 
Uh, is it about Jesus Christ and His grace? Verse 6, he said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you uh, into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. You see, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace. It is the gospel that tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, that's the gospel. It is the gospel that speaks to us of the grace of Christ. And so there's a source test, does it come from Jesus? There's the subject test, does it include the grace of God? Then there's the salvation test. Uh, he said that it is not another, this false gospel is not another, because, listen, no other gospel will produce the true salvation of souls. But it is the true gospel concerning the grace of Jesus Christ then that causes us to have the opportunity to live in liberty. In fact, there is no real freedom apart from the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the marvelous passage of Scripture. Uh, Not that they're all not marvelous, but this one is, is especially precious to us. But when the fullness of time was come, the time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, Those of you who, like myself, grew up studying and learning from the King James Version of the Bible, have often wondered, perhaps, why some of the modern versions don't quite sound the same. Have you ever wondered that? Uh, of course, part of it has to do with the ye's and the these and the thou's. But part of it has to do with the way they translated uh, the Bible when the King James translators did it. Uh, you see, when, that, when they would bring their work in, there would be a panel sitting there and they would close their eyes, no text in front of them. And they would choose then a translation based on how it sounded. And there's no greater passage to demonstrate that than this one. This could have been translated several different ways. But they translated it in a way that sounds majestic. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that ye might receive the adoption of sons. That sounds majestic. They meant it too. See, they meant it too. It's one of the reasons why that thing has endured the way that it has all these many years. It's an excellent, excellent translation. But it's not just the translation, you see, that gets our attention. It's the content. 
<clears throat> you see, the reason that we have the opportunity of living in liberty is because we're no longer just servants. We're sons. You see, a slave finds favor and acceptance because of what he does. If he does what his master says, the way his master wants it done, when his master wants it done, and he does that consistently, again and again and again and again, then the servant finds favor. Do you understand what I'm saying? A servant finds favor because of what he does. But a son finds favor because of who he is. And that's what this passage tells us. We're no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. It is because of who Jesus is and because of who we are in Him that we find favor and acceptance. Now the law in general, legalism specifically, frees us from that performance trap where our relationship with God is, laced, is based on that list of do's and don'ts. It takes us right out of then... Uh, or legalism would take us right out of that liberty in Christ and put us into the bondage of performance-based fear. But it also gives us not only the opportunity to live in liberty from legalism, but it also gives us the opportunity to live in liberty from criticism. Now hang with me. I want you to see how these two things are put together. Galatians 2 and 4. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now Paul was recounting the story of what had happened in Antioch, in the church at Antioch, as he was there and enjoying their ministry, until all of a sudden some folks came from Jerusalem, and suddenly they went right back to the keeping of the law. Uh, one of my teachers in seminary recounted how that in his way of thinking, he said, you know, there they all were sitting around enjoying their ham sandwiches. And they looked up and there walked in the delegation from Jerusalem and they were spitting out their ham and gargling mouthwash real quickly to get it off their breath. Uh, <clears throat> they were living as Gentiles, eating as Gentiles, fellowshipping with the Gentiles until all of a sudden these folks came in privately, he said, to spy out their liberty and Try to bring them back into bondage. You see, the way that legalism and criticism work together is that that person who has that self-imposed list of rules, whatever they are, whether religious or secular, is not content just to live by their own rules. If they did, it'd be, it'd be bad, but we could, it'd be tolerable. I tell people that all the time. If you feel like that's wrong, don't do it. Amen? Don't do it. Don't. But people are seldom content with that because they want everybody else to live by their rules as well. They're uncomfortable with freedom in Christ. They want everything spelled out. But if you look at the Bible and consider its size, then you know right up front that everything is not going to be spelled out in there. We have the Spirit of God living in us, 
God gives to us a conscience and He empowers it by the teaching of the Word. And we are perfectly free then to decide the things that we should or shouldn't do. And do that on our own. We've got conscience and a conviction of the Holy Spirit. But then there's these people who are constantly trying to make themselves look good by making everybody else look bad. And enforcing the orthodoxy, whatever it might be. And so tonight, I just want us to think about then how prominent this is. We see it in the religious circles where the legalism uh, then is one thing. A person has a certain list of do's and don'ts, whatever it is. And, and then they want to enforce that on everybody else. And they do that through criticism and that constant pressure and constantly just biting and devouring on one another. We see that in religious circles. Let me tell you something. We see it in a secular world too. You know, when the secular world decides that uh, all the girls ought to look like Barbie, then all of a sudden, the Barbie doll, okay, remember? Then all of a sudden, they're going to criticize anybody that doesn't look that way. And so, if Barbie is suddenly the, the standard, then that's enforced how? By criticism, body shame. Person's got to think the right things, believe the right things. If you don't, then there's that criticism that comes in to enforce the rules. See, Jesus Christ then not only came to deliver us from uh, that legalism, but he also came to deliver us from that criticism. Paul warns them that we don't have to let people bring us into their bondage. We don't have to. We don't have to live by their rules. Jesus Christ has made us free. Now, the reason why these two things are put together is because of the last one. The last thing that we have the opportunity to live in liberty from, uh, which is fatalism. On a religious level, you see, when people try to live by the rules and, and they're constantly embracing everybody else's rules and the list just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger of all the things that we have to do and all the things that we can't do and all the things that uh, we have to think and all the things that we have to say in order to be acceptable or approved to God and the list just keeps getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And it's enforced by that constant criticism and the guilt that it heaps up on us because somehow I'm not living up to all this list of rules. Sooner or later, the list is so long and the flesh is so weak, people just give up. It's fatalism. I can't do it. I'll never be successful. I'll never be pleasing unto God. God will never be satisfied with me. I'll never... I'll never make it. I, I just can't do it. In the secular world, you see that fatalism showing up with ever-increasing regularity. With the new orthodoxy that is so often being pushed on people, piled on them then in social media, from which they cannot escape. There's no escape from it. There was a time where if you had somebody at school talking bad about you, hey, you could go home. But going home doesn't do you any good anymore. Because the criticism just continues and continues. And it ultimately leads to fatalism. 
Legalism, criticism, leads to fatalism. Every day in this country, young people are literally taking their lives because somebody gave them a list of rules that they didn't live up to and they'll never be popular and they'll never be accepted and they'll never be pretty and they'll never be right. That's the secular side of it. But it's just as dangerous in the spiritual realm when people just give up. No wonder Paul says then, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Don't let it wrap you up. Don't let people wrap you up in their way of thinking. Don't let the list keepers and their enforcers put you right back into what Jesus Christ died to get you out of. Our acceptance is in Christ. We are accepted in the blood. He has made us accepted. That is why we have the opportunity to live in liberty. Paul sums it up for us then in verse 20 of chapter 2. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's see how this liberty came to us. First of all, there was an execution. I am crucified with Christ. Now we think that Jesus went to the cross and took our sins. And that's true up to a point. But he took more than that. He took you and me. He took us. I am crucified with Christ. You see, if he had just taken our sin, that'd still been us. He took us. Because the problem is not just with what we do. The problem is with what we are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are crucified then with Christ. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus uh, absolutely died for you. And you died. And I died with him. There's an execution. But then there's also an exchange. I'm crucified with Christ. And yet he says, Christ liveth in me. Christ lives in me. You see, it isn't just that I died with Christ. But now Christ lives in me. The effect of this dual truth is that the law and the sentence of the law, which was death, has no more claim on you and I because that debt has been paid. Uh, there's only one death, and we've already died. We died in Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And then there's the energizing. He says, and the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so that Christ lives his life in us. Our acceptance, you see, is not based on what we do. It is based on what Jesus Christ has done and what he is doing in your life and mine. And that is brothers and sisters in Christ, is really good news. The classic example of this is Moses at the burning bush. Remember that story? Of course you do. Moses saw the bush on fire burning, should have burned up, but it didn't. 
Now Moses could have looked at all of that and come away concluding, you know, that's what I need. <clears throat> I, I, I need to be a, a, a bush like that. Uh, boy, if I could just be that way and just have the fire of God on me, burning on me all the time, you know, man, then I would, I would be really something. Oh, if I could just be a bush like that. But had Moses thought that, of course, God would have been quick to correct him. Listen, it's not the bush. Any bush would do. <laughs> what was making the difference was the power of God was upon that place. What makes the difference in you and me, folk, is not who we are. What we are, it's not our talents, our abilities. Thank God it's not what we look like. Amen? And <laughs> it is. It is the fact that Christ lives in us. That's what makes the difference. And when Christ is in us, then anybody will do. Anybody. It's only if Christ lives in us. So that the living of this liberty... <clears throat> is all built around this constant threat from without. Whether from a religious side or from a secular side, be bombarded by this idea of what looks good, what makes us good, what makes us pretty, what makes us accepted, what makes us good looking, what makes us something. And against it all, listen to this tonight. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is our identity. You know Jesus Christ tonight. Are you a blood-bought child of the King? Never be a better time to receive Jesus Christ than right now. <clears throat> he came into his own, John says, but his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have received him as your Savior, then Christ lives in you. You've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in you. And your life is a life of liberty. Let's stand together.